0: Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Thanks be to God.
1: Amen. Thanks, Linda. Do keep that uh, passage open in front of you. And uh, we're going to uh, continue our series uh, on or sort of focusing around the gift of prayer that we've uh, called Connecting uh, with God Um, as we consider this passage towards the end of this book of Philippians. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Uh, Thank you for the gift of your spirit, and we pray that by your spirit you would speak to us uh, through these words written so long ago, and even through uh, my words as I unpack them for us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is one of those passages where every single sentence um, has something of a punch to it. Uh, there's something that sort of grabs us, there's something that connects with us. Um, Every sentence has something that we could spend um, hours chewing over, thinking about, meditating on, pondering, what does that look like in my life? What does it mean uh, for me? And um, as I've been sort of chewing it over this week, I've kept sort of getting stuck on each sentence, by which I mean I'd start sort of digging into a particular sentence, thinking, well, actually you could spend the whole time just talking about that. Or I could spend the whole time talking about that. And my fear was that we'd end up just with a whole series of, it's a bit like if you're putting your Christmas decorations up at the moment, a whole series of sort of individual decorations that don't quite feel like they belong together and are quite hard to to remember and act on. But as I was reading them, it seemed to me that what Paul is doing here is describing for us something that actually hangs together very well describing for us, if you like, a description of what a healthy Christian life looks like and, very practically, how to achieve it. Um, Now, many of you won't have reached uh, this particular point in life, but when I, um, many years ago now, hit the age of 40, I started getting text messages, uh, particular text messages from my doctor, And every couple of months, I would get a text message that said, You are due um, a 40s plus health check. Now, at that particular point in my life, I didn't really want a reminder every few months that I was now over 40. Um, It won't be very long at all until I start getting the over 50 uh, one. Uh, But the idea was that I could go in at any point and have an MOT. Uh, Go in and, uh, uh, which I. Uh, Eventually, did uh, after about the eighth text message, uh, and uh, sit with a nurse, and they would take my blood pressure, and take some blood samples, and do all that sort of thing, and basically say to me, "This is how you're doing," but also, "This is how you could do better." My cholesterol was a bit high, Uh, my weight was definitely high, I wasn't getting enough exercise. There are all sorts of things that actually uh, the 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 practice nurse had to sit me down and say, "Well, you know, you're you're doing all right, not bad." But if you want to live a healthier life, be a healthier person, here is how you do it. A sort of all-round health check. And my suggestion is that what Paul writes in these uh, sentences towards the end of this letter, written somewhere around um, AD 60, 61, 62, uh, we think, um, commentators disagree, but maybe best guess, uh, possibly under house arrest in Rome, Uh, writing to uh, the Christians in Philippi, a place he'd he'd visited two or three times, um, that as Paul writes to them, he's writing to them as he completes his letter, as he sort of finishes it off, um, if you like, a health check. And more than simply a health check, as in how are you doing, but actually uh, a prescription. If you want to live a healthy life of following Jesus, this is what you can do. This is how to live. This is what it looks like and how you can achieve it and i'm actually going to start at the end and work backwards because it seems to me that in these four things that paul talks about um they get less as you work from the end back to the beginning of this little passage they get harder and harder to swallow um so i want to start with the easy stuff the stuff we're expecting and land it at least where i bumped i want to land it with the thing that i found hardest to hear and hardest to really take in. Otherwise, if I start with that one, um, that's the one we'll get stuck with. So the place that I want to start is at the end um, of this little passage. Um, uh, verse 9 of chapter 4, there on page 1181. Whatever you have heard, learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, on one level, that's the thing that you'd most expect Paul to say. Live a good Christian life. The most common thing that's ever said to me as a vicar when I go and visit a family and we're talking about how we might remember somebody who's died uh, for for a funeral and we're talking about a eulogy. The most common thing that's said to me is they lived a Christian life. That is, they were a good person. They were a person that was nice to know, good to know. They were kind to people. They were gentle towards people. They were generous towards people. And actually, it's a huge privilege to sit there and hear that sort of snapshot of somebody's life. Hear the ways, positive ways in which they influenced others. The positive ways in which they made a difference to others. And all the ways in which they're going to be missed. And of course, we have to remind one another that if we think that that is the heart of what it means to be a Christian, we're missing the point that although it's fantastic to live a good life, the point of being a Christian is not that somehow we live a good life and then God loves us. You know, that we live a good life and then God's pleased with us. We live a good life and then we're okay with God. But actually, it's entirely the other way up. That because God loves us, we want to live a life of response and goodness towards him. That because God forgives us, we can live a good life towards him. That because God accepts us, we can respond by living for him. In other words, to live a good Christian life is the result of being included in his family, the outworking of it, the response to it, not the way in. But how do you do it? How do you shape your life in such a way that it's going to look and be healthy? How do you you live that life of following Jesus? How do you live a good life that will make a difference? I think Paul's advice here is fascinating. What he doesn't do is simply give us a list of rules. Actually, that's very sensible, isn't it? I mean, rules are important. You need to know where the boundaries are. You need to know what the, the aims are. If you like, you need to know where the road's heading. You need to be able to follow that sort of center line or the, the edges of the road and keep on track. But we also know that if you have a set of behaviors that are problematic, if you're trying to nail something, I mean, to go back to dieting, if in, my, if in your late 40s, early 50s, you're trying to keep the, you know, the, the waistline down, simply being told a whole set of rules, in my case at least, is not very effective. What Paul does is something quite different. He says, okay, you have learned stuff from me. You've heard me say things, but you've also seen this life lived out in front of you. What you've learned, received, heard from me, seen in me, put them into practice. Isn't it true that most of the way that we live life is caught even more than it's taught? I mean, you see that in children growing up, don't you? I've often told you the story, but it just is so um, indelibly implanted in my heart, I'll probably tell it for another 40 years, of my son when he was about, well, old enough to crawl upstairs and talk, but not much older than that. As we were leaving the house, I was mortified by this. He, He started crawling up the stairs, and Catherine said to him, Stephen, where are you going? And without missing a beat, he turned around and said, just going to check my email. Of course at that point Catherine turned to me and went "Hmm." because of course what he'd done was learn that behavior he'd caught it off me I hadn't sat him down can I just reassure him and said Stephen I'm going to teach you a little phrase now it's very useful if you just want to escape up to each I'm just going to check my email these are in the days by the way this is a long time ago before you carried phones with you where you could check your email like that you had to go somewhere to do it I know it sounds strange doesn't it he caught it off me children catch behaviors of parents of teachers of friends of their community we catch it paul suggests that you can choose especially as you grow up who you're going to catch behavior from i wonder who you choose to catch behavior from who do you seek to emulate and if the answer is nobody then you're actually leaving yourself wide open to be influenced by pretty much anybody. Whoever has the strongest character in your place of work, whoever has the most, most forceful personality in your family, whoever you sort of aspire to be most like, you're going to catch their way of life, catch their behavior, without ever really thinking about it. What Paul says, and he's not alone in the Bible, there are plenty of places where this is the pattern, he says, choose who you're going to emulate it's quite a challenge, isn't it? If you think around your group of friends, your family members, your neighbours, the people that you know, who would you choose to emulate? At least in one part of their life. Nobody's perfect. Paul himself absolutely was clear he wasn't perfect. And if you want to be really challenged, if somebody said to you after the service today, I just want you to know I really seek to emulate you. How do you feel? Apart from traumatized, I would be. But actually, the Bible's very clear that as followers of Jesus, we are meant to be living a life that can be emulated. Not just if we're a parent and we want our children to emulate us for good. Not just if we're a, an auntie, an uncle, a grandparent. Not just if we're a teacher. Not just if we are some leader in our business. Actually, all of us are meant to be living lives that live out the good news of Jesus and our lives that others can emulate. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So the first challenge to living a healthy life is emulate wisely. And think about who might be emulating you. But the second challenge as we move back up through this letter is to think deliberately. Verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. One of the astonishingly challenging things of growing up in our particular culture, in particular time today, is, as uh, has been well-trailed, well-talked about in so many quarters, the absolutely ubiquitous presence of that constant stream of stuff that is the internet. Some of it is wonderful, uplifting, full of joy. They make, there are bits that make you Cry tears of joy, be inspired, um, laugh, be full of joy, wonderful. And of course, there are other parts, other streams that are much more like playing in or near an open sewer. I was talking um, to a young person not that long ago and saying to them, what do you do to relax? What do you do to switch off? Um, And they, and then those around them, agreed said, "Well, watch YouTube. Simply watching end-to-end YouTube videos, one thing after another after another. I cannot stand up here and say I've never done that, okay? So before anybody thinks I'm taking pot shots, I get it. It, It's a wonderfully mindless activity, because you don't have to think, you just allow it to just move on to the next one or click that link and follow it on and follow it on and there is some fascinating stuff I'm not trying to encourage you to do it but there is some genuinely fascinating, inspiring uh, wonderful, funny stuff YouTube and elsewhere here's the thing though it is an illustration of what it is to think without thinking to simply take in without choosing to simply absorb ...without deciding what it is we want to absorb. And of course the crazy fact is... ...we wouldn't do that in any other part of life. Um, I don't know whether you've, you've ever seen those programs... ...with Bear Grills, ...who takes people on these you know, adventures through the wilderness. And one of the things he does... ...is he teaches them how to filter water. And in fact, I think I first saw him do it... ...in this slightly absurd um, and odd surroundings... ...of the Graham Norton chat show... Um, ...where um, he was given a sort of glass... ...of fairly horrible looking water... Um, and he borrowed the sock off one of the celebrities who were with him, with, with, you know, which of course everybody thought was very funny. And he took the sock, puts it over the cup, and he, drew, you know, pours this water through it in order to use the sock as a filter, and then um, offers it to them to drink. I, I'm not sure that it was much clean after going through a sock, but the idea was that, of course, it would be absurd to imagine that we would simply put in our mouths anything that we found without imagining what it is. One of the first things we have to teach children, isn't it? Don't eat that. Don't drink that. Don't even pick up that. And yet, actually, for the most part, we tend to fill our minds and to think on things without being even vaguely deliberate about it, without filtering what goes in. We would never do it with a glass of something put in front of us, and yet we do it with our thoughts, with what fills our minds. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, Pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think on those things. They're going to be healthy for you. They're going to build you up, not tear you down. They're not going to make you sick. They're going to make you healthy. If we want to live a a healthy life of following Jesus, then as well as emulating wisely, we are to think deliberately. And that's getting into good habits. You know, I, I don't know it sounds a really basic thing, but actually if there's nothing on TV you want to watch, we'll switch it off. If there's nothing you've particularly gone to find on the internet, well then, walk away. Actually choosing what we fill our minds with will feel and be much healthier than simply absorbing whatever's out there. And then working our way back up the passage just a little bit further. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we're to emulate wisely and think deliberately, Paul wants us to pray confidently. Now, I said they get harder as we move back up this little bit of his letter because, of course, actually we're increasingly aware that anxiety isn't always, we can, isn't always something we can do something about. Many of us have experienced times in life of, um, times of anxiety, and it can be really debilitating. We know what it is, many of us, to, to have a panic attack or to feel so weighed down with anxiety, we can't think beyond it. And I guess I want to start with this little bit by saying, I don't think what Paul is saying here is, sort of, don't be anxious or else you're being a bad person, or don't be anxious or otherwise you're being weak. Anxiety at times hits us all. What he's doing instead is to say to us, actually, there is something you can do that will build in a resilience and a foundation that will help us gradually over the years to be less anxious, to gradually deal with those concerns and fears that we have. And it is very simply prayer. To very simply come to God and simply say to God what it is that matters to us. If you've been a parent at any point in your life, you may well have had a conversation with a child, I certainly have, where you say to them after the event, well, why didn't you just say something? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you ask? And the response is something along the lines of, well, I don't know, or I didn't know whether I could, or I thought you might be angry or disappointed or cross. You keep it to yourself. Do you know we do the same with God? I can imagine God every day saying to us, well, why didn't you just talk to me about it? Why didn't you just tell me? Why didn't you just say it? And we go, Well, I wasn't sure you could pray things like that wasn't sure you could say stuff like that. I wasn't sure I could express that emotion. I wasn't sure that I could say that without you being cross or disappointed or uninterested. Actually, Paul wants to say to us, bring everything to God. In everything, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, pre- present your requests to God. There is nothing in our hearts and on our hearts, in our minds and on our minds that is not worthy of prayer. Emulate wisely, think deliberately, pray confidently, and finally, rejoice constantly. Now, I nearly didn't get past this one verse, because this is where our reading starts. And when I was preparing um, what I was going to say today, this was the verse I kept tripping up on rejoice rejoice in the lord always i will say it again rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all the lord is near um has anybody ever come up to you they do it particularly to children it's a terrible thing to do to anybody actually um has anybody ever come up to you in your life and said to you cheer up it's the closest most of us ever come to bodily violence You're looking a bit glum, or you might just be thoughtful. I mean, that's the annoying thing. It often happens when you're not feeling glum at all. But somebody simply comes up to you and goes, cheer up, or it'll never happen, or it might never happen, or be happy. Can I just reassure you here, that's not what Paul is doing. He's not saying, rejoice, come on, be happy, don't look glum, you're in church, it's a good place, come on, happy, smiley, happy faces. It's not what he's doing. What Paul is not doing is he not saying to us, you need to generate an emotion. And if you don't generate that emotion, you're somehow not living a healthy Christian life. On any one day looking around to church, there'll be roughly 100 adults in church today. Amongst those 100 adults, there will be 10, 20, even 30 people who today are struggling with some form of depression or anxiety or feeling very weighed down probably another 20 or 30 who at some point in their lives could say, that was me. And all of the rest at some point in their lives will have felt just thoroughly miserable. Being a Christian is not about pretending or working up happiness because plenty of life isn't very happy. The word that Paul uses here for rejoice would have been very familiar to his first readers and they would have known that it didn't mean feeling something primarily. It was a word that meant doing something. Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony, and if you lived in a Roman colony, one of the things that you did occasionally was to join in rejoicing. Because rejoicing was public celebration. You would celebrate Caesar, particularly you would celebrate Caesar. You would celebrate Caesar's victories. You would celebrate the birth of Caesar. Or you might get involved in celebrating one of the gods or goddesses celebrating their birthday or celebrating their uh, particular feast day, celebrating the start of New Year, celebrating the harvest. It was public celebration which did two or three important things. First was it connected you with people in your community, with a shared sense of solidarity of this is what we believe is important, so we're going to celebrate it. Secondly, it connected you with a sense of loyalty to that thing you were celebrating. Particularly, that's why they encouraged celebrating Caesar. It connected you with loyalty to the Roman Empire. If you went out and celebrated Caesar, you had that sense of belonging. This is, I'm a citizen of the Roman Empire. I belong. This is us. And then, yes, actually there is something about choosing to rejoice that sometimes does begin to filter back down, if you like, and change how you feel. Actually, if you are in a crowd of people rejoicing, celebrating... It's hard not to feel infected by that sense of exuberant joy. And when the Bible talks about the times when we come together in worship, one of the things it says is it's that sort of rejoicing. There is a command to rejoice even when we're feeling thoroughly miserable. Not because we're meant to be pretending, we should be able to be more honest in church than anywhere else on the planet, but because we choose to rejoice in what we know is true. With God's people, we celebrate the fact that God is good, whether we feel it or not. We choose to celebrate that God loves us, whether I feel it or not. We choose to celebrate that God's given us the gift of life and of this astonishing world, whether I choose, whether I feel like it's a good thing or not. And as I celebrate, then I find a connection with God's people, because I belong, because we're celebrating together. I sense more of a sense of loyalty to God and start to believe, actually, this is true, what I'm celebrating. And you know what? There are times when that sense of celebration begins even to filter down into my heavy heart. Emulate wisely. Who are you choosing to follow? And, dare I say it, who's choosing to follow you? Think deliberately. What are you filling your mind with? What are you absorbing? And dare I said, if you're a parent, what are your kids absorbing? Pray confidently. There is not one thing on your mind and heart that is not suitable to bring to God. And most of all, and I think this is why he starts with it, rejoice constantly with God's people, on your own, whatever you're doing. Rejoice in the one who loves you. Rejoice in the one who's given everything for you in Jesus. Rejoice in the one who's given us the good news of hope. Let's pray together, and uh, then uh, John is going to lead us in uh, songs of worship and of rejoicing uh, just before the children come and join us again. Jesus, thank you for these uh, words that form a sort of health check-up for us. Thank you that your love precedes any of this. Thank you that we don't have to be better somehow to be more loved, to be more accepted, to be more cared for by you. But given that you do love us, given that you do accept us, thank you, given that you do care for us, help us to live healthily Christian lives and grow us in that health each day, we pray. Amen.